Welcome to the Christian Variety Podcast. I'm Alan. I'm John. I'm Will. Christian Variety Podcast began through gifts that ta- that Alan has, vision that Alan has, and a desire to talk that I have. We believe in the local congregation. We believe in scripture. We believe in God's holiness and his love for us. And we believe in conviction. And bring people together to share their faith also. The Christian Variety Podcast, offering variety in your Christian faith. Two simple guys. One Bible. One Bible and a lot of love for God and scripture. Word to your Bible. Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Christian Variety Podcast. Today I'm joined by the Almighty Brothers Moran, uh, John and Will. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Outstanding. Yeah, doing really good, Alan. How are you? Doing good. Good. Doing very good. Beautiful crisp morning this morning. Finally. I know. I've been waiting on it. yesterday. Yeah, there was a nice frost on the ground. All, it's, all it's missing is snow, right, John? Amen. Yes. Why do I live in New York in November if it's going to be 60? Exact. Thank you. The silence is enough. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather today, and hopefully we will bring you glory with what we say and what we do here. Lord, I pray that you would work through us and help us honor you with, with, with the things that we discuss today. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name. Amen. And Lord, we pray you would open your heavenly storehouses laden with snow. Our joke for this episode. Two guys are out golfing. One of them is Jesus Christ himself. They're on a, a par five, which um, if you're, you're not a golfer, that's a, it's a, it takes a slug to get close to the green on a par five. And so Jesus gets out and just cranks one and, and gets right on the green, which if you drive onto the green on a par five, that's near miraculous. It's Christ. So, of course, this so next guy comes up. is a really old guy. I mean, just frail as frail can be. And he, he winds back and just kind of puts it almost goes maybe 30 yards and then a, 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 a squirrel comes and picks up the ball and runs off with it. And then a hawk comes down and picks up that squirrel flies and as, as that they're flying, the ball kind of drops and putters. And then right when it lands, this, this little frog comes over and kind of latches onto it with its tongue and starts dragging it away. And, and then by the time the frog is done, then this big woodchuck comes and eats the frog and carries it and moving. And then right at the last second, the, the, the woodchuck spits the ball out kind of close to the green, but really not, not, not altogether that close. Close and then and then an eagle comes down, which is just insane. There's hawks and eagles in this environment, and an eagle comes down, scoops the ball up, flies up, gets hit by another eagle while it's flying. The ball falls out, rolls in, hole in one. And Jesus turns the old guy and says, "Nice shot, Dad." Now for Ask a Pastor. My name is Landon Yule, and I serve as the lead pastor of the Refinery Church on the northwest side of Columbus. Knowing what you know now, what would you say to yourself as advice for when you first started your ministry work? I would love to be able to go back and speak to my younger self. Uh, I've been in ministry, uh, this is my 20th year now. And uh, if I could go back, the advice I think I would give is, one, be more focused on the work of prayer. Um, Understand that all uh, that the work of the church that is done is done in the power of the Spirit. And so lean into prayer and recognize, like, it's going to take time, like, like young Landon, you really don't know what you're doing a lot of times. And that's okay because a lot of people, when they're first figuring out, first starting their jobs or leadership positions, like they're trying to figure things out. And so it's okay to not know. Um, there's things that you can control and there's things that are outside of your control. And so kind of take that pace. And one of the things that I've tried to do through the years is to invest in younger leaders and to offer them some of that counsel, to encourage them a lot more. Because I think, especially when you're younger, uh, you need a lot more encouragement just because. I don't know, you, you feel like you don't know, but you almost can't admit to it. So trying to encourage young leaders, trying to help equip them, like say, hey, learning is a process. Continue to stay actively learning, actively growing. Uh, root yourself in prayer. Root yourself in scripture. And recognize that 
man, there are a lot of people that love you, but then at the same time, like we have an enemy and the enemy will come after us and there will be brokenness and hardship and difficulty in life, but let others help you carry those difficult seasons. God will prove faithful. And our verse of the week, Luke uh, chapter 6, 27 to 29. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn them to the other. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Second half of 28. Pray for those who mistreat you. Mistreat. Mine says abuse. Mm, yeah. It's a lot more clear that way. I was about to say, I think I like the word abuse more. I will say, though, <laughs> with, say uh, <laughs> with the, this verse right here, I, I feel like it's something that a lot of Christians struggle with. It's it's probably, I think, one of the hardest things that Jesus said that people could really grasp onto, especially because their enemy then was the Romans. Well, I, I think it's good, too, Alan, that it's one of the things that we all say that we believe and, you know, yes, you turn your other cheek. Uh, but very few Christians actually do um, the way Jesus intended. It's also very easily misunderstood, and we often way overlook those who are mistreating and abusing us because uh, the mistreatment and the abuse, your enemies are, are, are sinners. You know what I mean? Like, if it's not a good influence in your life, that's not treating you right. And nowadays, it's so easy to be like, they're toxic. Block them, block them, (laughs) cancel them out of my life and just act like they don't exist. And that's not what Jesus is saying at all in this. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, no. So just for clarity, this interlinear, this form of this word is only used once in in all of Scripture, and it's right here. Hmm. The base word is used twice here and in 1 Peter 3.16, which is do it with gentleness and respect, maintaining a clear conscience so that in the very thing for which you are being slandered, those who are reviling, and that's the word reviling, you, your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. From what I'm seeing, there's kind of not necessarily perfectly clear how it should be translated, but uh, one says who mistreat you, one says which despitefully use you, and then obviously abuse for the ESV. So it's it's not exactly clear, but uh, not good. I mean, we're talking about not being treated well, that's for sure. We get that idea. Negative word. Negative word. I'm interested in what the most striking part or the most impactful part of the redemption story. Yeah, that's a good question. I, I do think it's compelling that you, what you said about a lot of times what impacts you the most is what scares you the most, which is, is, is true for me. But Luke chapter 6, 43 through 45. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things that are out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Talk about getting scared by a verse. Going off of that, what I think of is it's um, obviously the what we do is our, is, I don't want to say the fruit of our, the fruit of our labor determines how we act in a lot of ways, but what is in our heart is what is displayed. It just comes to a lot of just Jesus's messages were just extremely way too straightforward i think for a lot of the jews and the romans and it's something that you know people might have to think about and i don't want to say question but really think about the deep meaning of things because in a lot of ways his parables and his metaphors were something that took people by shock so something like that i mean it's very straightforward but you know it's might be extremely hard for a lot of people this is really important too because especially like we kind of let's we can't forget where jesus was in space and time the jews still do like functionally believed that the only way to get to God was work, right? Yeah. It was work. That was it. Was upholding the law, right? And, and because they misunderstood the law, right? It's because they the first they, time it was ever given, right? And Jesus is saying, like, what happened? Like your your heart matters. And then I guess where I'm going is this: is 
this is such an important principle of the story of redemption. Once your heart changes, and that's that, what that last verse is talking about, what's in your heart, once that changes, you will bear good fruit. You cannot and will not bear good fruit if you have a bad heart, right? It works will follow whenever your heart is regenerated. Your heart must change first and the works will come. You will bear good fruit. Number one, it's not essential. Number two, it won't happen until your heart changes. I, and I will say, just to be clear, it, it's not essential that you do good things, but it is essential fruit. Yes. The, the good works is essential fruit. Yes. You must yes. do good things, but not because you're doing them, because it is it is the fruit of, of yes. your change. Vody Pockham says it uh, beautifully. I love it. There are the indicatives and there are the imperatives, right? The imperatives is redemption. Two big words. Or, um, imperatives are what you must do to, to, to reach salvation. The indicatives are showing proofs. that you have done it. They're yeah. proofs and fruit is indicative of salvation. Proof is indicative of regeneration of or fruit is indicative of a regeneration of your heart. What had an impact was whenever I realized what a childlike faith means and what that is and what that looks like. And because I, I don't, I don't know why it never stuck. I, I don't, I would, I would stand here today and as the son of a pastor who was in church no less than twice a week would say, <laughs> nobody ever looked at me and properly explained this to me. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. Maybe they did and it just didn't stick, but I would, I would stand here and say, nobody ever looked at me and said, this is what this means. A childlike faith is, I remember I called you whenever it clicked for me yeah. that, that night. Uh, it, like it, it changes everything. And you, I would never understand it if I weren't a parent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, to be clear, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of children so that I can understand my relationship with you. A childlike faith is looking at God as a parent, the way my, my kids look at me, but even in a more impactful way. Between the, the three of us, I think that we would all probably have no problem agreeing that I'm the emotional one. But I remember the twins, I got twin girls, and when they were... I don't even know, probably two-ish. Rebecca was, she's always been a self-starter, always really wanting to figure things out herself, do things herself. So we're getting for ready for something, I don't remember if it was church or like just going out somewhere, and she really wanted to tie her own shoe. And she has no idea how to tie her shoe. I mean, not, not the first clue. But she she sat down, and I and I kind of got down to help her. She said, no, Daddy, I want to do it myself. So okay, go ahead. So she did all the motions. You know, she moved her hands back and forth. She was holding a string in each hand, moving it back and forth furiously, and then let go, and then it just fell down because she didn't do anything. <laughs> And then she did it again, picked him up and move, 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 and then let it go. And at the very end, you know, she kind of does two or three times. And then she looked up and said, Daddy, can you help me? And I, I started weeping. Like, like and Sarah's like, what's wrong with you? I was like, that's me and God right there. I try so hard until I can't anymore. And then I say, Daddy, can you help me? And seriously, just, just weeping. But but it's, it is what you're saying. I had this, this realization moment where it was like, if you, if you were to stand at the back of the church and, and Rebecca was doing that up front, you would assume she tied her shoe. She did all the right movements. It looked really good. She certainly had the confidence. And from back there, you would think, oh, she just tied her shoe. But then you get up close, you're like, oh, no, no, she didn't. No, actually, that person's a fraud. And I felt like that 99% of my Christian life. If you stand back there and look at me, you'd say, oh, that's a Christian guy. But if you ever got, if anyone ever got closer, they would say, wow, John's a total fraud. And it wasn't until I kind of realized I, I am a fraud. Like, I actually am a fraud. I, I have to sit back and say, I can't. I can't do this. I need my father's help. And it just like, yeah, totally exploded my brain. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it's life changing whenever yeah. you actually realize that. And, and, and even I, I would go so far as to say like, it's not as difficult 
as we like to make it. Like it's the simple stuff too, yeah. you know, like it, it's the little things. The only thing I can think of is like, my son wants to play with the stove. He likes the clicking noises, <laughs> right? He, he, <laughs> Which is the ignition, but, by the right, way. Right. He wants to turn on the gas. It's got a weird smell and then it clicks and he loves it, right? That's me. I'm like literally walking up to the stove and I'm like, oh, let's fill the room with gas and then light it on fire. Let's see what happens. That's me in my life. Yeah. And then, and then God's like, no. Then <laughs> step back and be like, why is there a fire everywhere? <laughs> Who, right, did right. Who did this? Who did this? This is ridiculous. And, and, and I have to depend on God to, and often, so often because he loves us, he shows his love. He just, before the fire ignites, Right, he turns it off and he pulls me away. And the same as my son, who's like, I want to play with this. He's angry that I've taken him away from the pilot light and and taken him away from the gas that's filling the room because he wants to play. He doesn't see the result, the consequence of his actions. He's mad. I get mad. And then, you know, as he will in a couple years down the road, I can look back and I'm like, oh, that's why he did that. And, And that's the childlike faith is looking at God. That's why he's the, our heavenly father. Like it just, it changed the way I look at everything and in my personal life and how my life with, with God, it changed everything. Something else you said really made me think though, um, kind of how important it is to actually stop and think about the things we've been taught so much. Cause they, they, they just get so washed down and they just don't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, like calling God father that we don't even consider what that word actually means or that Jesus, like the reason we call him father is because Jesus told us to, you know, it's not like hmm. the old Testament is not rife with people calling him father. Jesus said, he's so close to you. Call him Abba. Like, like that's the relationship and, and thus defining, you know, that part of the Trinity. But one of the other ones that, that has always struck me and, and I'm only using this as an example. And I think it's the most important one, but I, I remember a, a Sunday school class where we were talking about the title Lord of hosts and people didn't know what that meant. And so they were just kind of, oh yeah, we should kind of repass that. Or I thought because he hosts everyone in heaven, but, but a host is another word for a Roman legion, a Roman army. So when it says the Lord of hosts, we're talking about a military commander. He, you know, there are hosts of angels. The, the angelic host is an army of angels. So when the shepherds are out in the field and they look up and they see hosts of angels all saying glory to God in the highest, like, Picture Roman legions with spears and swords screaming like a bunch of men screaming glory to God in the highest. No wonder they were terrified. And if we glaze past those things that we've read a million times, calling God father, calling him the Lord of hosts, they don't mean as much. So I do think that that's that totally unrelated to the question, totally unrelated to the Bible verse. But, but I, you brought that point up and it is, you know, when you, when you pray to your father, you're praying to your father, uh, yeah. you know, your holy father, obviously your heavenly father, but um, it, it actually means something. Yeah. One is in relation to the, the verse that you chose today, Alan, my favorite part of the redemption story is the command and example of sacrificial love. The, the, I try to teach this to the youth group all the time that when we're, when we're called to love people, it is not passive. It's not sitting back and saying, Oh, I love you. It's not a, a feeling inside that I get when this cute boy or cute girl looks at me. It is a very active, real choosing to be sacrificial. It, it ought to hurt me in order to love you in some way. Not every time. And, you know, I'm not saying go out of your way to hurt yourself, 
the command is sacrificial love. The command is a very expensive love. It, it, love your enemies to do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. He says, if, if someone takes something from you, give them something out. If he hits you, turn your cheeks so he can hit you again. If someone asks, give more. And then, of course, ends with the do to others as you would have them do unto you. And, and what I always try to tell the kids is, it, it says, love your neighbors yourself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How do you love yourself? Well, you wake up and you get showered and you put clothes on and you go to the bathroom and you never miss a meal and you play sports you like. Those are all ways that you love yourself. What are you doing to ensure someone else can do those things? Are you clothing other people? Are you feeding other people? Are you, are you making them feel worth it? Are you helping them find joy? So that's what the one part I think is the most compelling part because we can do all those things and don't even scratch the surface of the sacrifice that Jesus made and, and the way that Jesus loved sacrificially. So that's kind of the, the one part. The, the other one would, would, would be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 which says that, that we're supposed to run the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And just considering what those two words mean, that, that Jesus authored our faith, so he created it, he wrote it, he is the one who instills faith within us, and then he perfects it. So, so if you have a faith in, in Christ, if you, if you have this, this Christian faith, that's because Jesus authored it in you, and all the things that we go through, all the trials and tribulations we go through, are him perfecting that faith that he authored. I think it's just a compelling way to look at life when, when I consider this tough thing I'm going through is actually the person who created my faith perfecting my faith. It's just, it's, it, for me, it was a massive perspective shift in, in my life. Um, I, I stopped, stopped being such a victim. I will, will attest that up until about, mm, I was 24, which might be a bit of an exaggeration, but, but maybe 22, the ultimate victim. If, if you came into my room two minutes before you said you were, I would probably cry and act like you just slighted me. I, I, was, I took offense to everything and was always the victim. And, and it wasn't until I realized, you know what? <laughs> One, some of these hard things aren't hard at all. But two, the hard things I go through are actually for my benefit from the person who's perfecting my faith. If we're going to talk about these things, it is, I mean, th that is a time where I, I was playing the fool. I honestly thought I was righteous and holy and doing the right thing. And, and I was playing victim. I wasn't turning the other cheek. That's not what this means. This doesn't mean roll over, be passive and be soft. Right. That, is, that is not the command of Jesus. Right. Jesus did a lot of things that were not passive or soft. But there is a time and a place to, to turn the other cheek. There is a time and a place to, to not be to not be the aggressor or the fighter. Um, there are things we ought to fight about. Here, here's the, the way that I, I kind of delineate, and I'd love both your perspectives on it, but in my opinion, you ought to be fighting about the things that are obviously true in Scripture and then rolling over about everything else. There's no need to argue about the color of the carpet or, or the color of these books. No need to argue about, well, that person's out drinking. Okay, well, if they're not a Christian, I can't expect them to act like a Christian. But, but if there's a Christian who's lying about what Scripture says, get up in arms. You want to talk about Jesus flipping the table. That's why he did it, because they were profaning church. They, they, they were ruining God's house. They were taking things in Scripture and twisting them and, 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 and making a profit off of the poor person. That's when Jesus flipped the table. He didn't just go around flipping tables at anything. He, he, he was intentionally, if you're going to make God out to be something he's not, I'm going to lose my mind. Yeah, they, uh, well, never mind. I was just to say in that particular situation, like they had taken the— God's house and turned it into a place of market. Like right. they had capitalized God's house. Like that. Yeah. Flip tables over that. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, and that's what I'm saying that's is exactly what you're saying is whenever it matters, don't be soft when it's impactful, have, do it, be impactful. A hundred percent. Yeah. If it, if it's important, do it, but you don't need to quibble. Right. Uh, that's don't, if it, if it's not impactful, then what's the problem? What's the point? Well, something that you said 
that is I think is very important that we shouldn't uh, just breeze past uh, and and as is a, a really cool um, biblical principle that I found because of John oh no um, no no it's a good one it's good it's good it off so often especially celebrity in large air quotes Christians will say don't judge Ugh, it's not in the don't Bible. judge. That's, that's, that, yeah, you're wrong. That's, that's fundamentally false. Actually, the Bible says to judge and the people we are supposed to judge are other Christians. Exactly. Um, it, like, and that's exactly what I want to say is if that guy's out drinking, well, he's a non-believer and I expect non-believers and sinners to act like non-believers and sinners. If you're a Christian and you're out getting schwammered all the time, we're going to have a discussion. Absolutely. That's yeah. a problem. Yeah. And, and that's, that, that's an important thing to remember. That was the, probably the biggest conflict I've gotten into as the youth pastor of the church so far is, is I told my kids that if someone is at your school pretending to be a Christian and they're doing things that are not Christianly, you are commanded to call them out. You're supposed to look at how many times Jesus did. He was yelling at the Pharisees and the fake Christians. And then Paul the, called out Peter. Exactly. In Galatians, Paul <laughs> right. said, I confronted him to his face right. because, in the midst of the church. And, and then you look at like, and, and Jesus was, was kind to the woman at the well. And he was, he was having dinner with the tax collectors and the sinners. He was soft, gentle, and reconciliatory. If we're going to use big words, bringing people to the fold of God through his love to the sinners and completely condemnatory for using big words, condemning and, and calling out the, the, the fake Christians. And so I was telling my youth group this, like, like if you, if you see people who have Bible verses in their Instagram stories and they post like half topless pictures, you ought to be calling that out. The bikini <laughs> selfie with John three sixteen Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> this kid full of, can I say piss and vinegar? Full of wow. piss and vinegar. Called out his dad. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he, he, he called out his dad. His dad didn't take it very well. The kid gets back in touch with me. He's like, hey, I did what you told me to do, and suddenly I'm in trouble. And I was like, okay, well, let's talk about our methods. Um, <laughs> thing is, kid was right. Kid yeah. was right. Dad yeah. was not being a good Christian dad. He was being a total hypocrite. And, and, I, and I guess I'm saying that in the, the grander context of turning the other cheek doesn't mean being soft. It, it, it is clear that Jesus called out the people who are profaning God's name. That's who we ought to be tough towards. But you're going to have enemies who hate you. The the thing that has convinced me, not has convinced me, <laughs> that would convince me of total free will and humanity, and it's the fact that Jacob sucks. The only reason that would be able to convince me of total free will and to be humanity, clear, Jacob, the Bible character, not just some guy that we know. <laughs> yeah, no, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob of Jacob and Esau. Beat. Yeah, no. So I think I think the reason why it could convince me of total and complete free will and humanity is because I, I look at Jacob and I look at Esau and God. I feel like God would have had to, you know, he picked Jacob. And it was like, eh, it's the lesser of two evils. Because Jacob sucks. Jacob's awful. Jacob ain't great. There, I, I don't, I can't think of one single redeeming story of Jacob. After he was saved, they, it gets better. When? I'm not saying it was good. I'm when? It gets better. When? I'm looking. I'm in Genesis. <laughs> Go ahead. Let's, let's say. Go ahead to Genesis. Let's look through it. While you're looking, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through and we could just, we could just talk about him. So Jacob and Esau are born. Right. And when they're born, Jacob comes out holding onto his brother's heel. And that's how he comes into the world. Right. Off the coattails, somebody else. Then Jacob manipulatively 
takes his manipulates his brother into selling him his birthright, which I got it. The story is about how Esau sold his birthright for like a bowl of soup. You know what? I don't I don't care. Jacob was a mama's boy who was in the kitchen cooking all day, which nothing against guys who cook. That's cool. But like like Esau's out, you know, hunting and, and farm doing man things, right? And Jacob's hanging out with mommy, you know? And then Esau comes back after a long day's work and Jacob's like, here's some food if you give me your birthright. And Esau's just a dude being a dude and he's like, thank you for the food. I don't even care what it costs me right now. Uh, Jacob is a loser. <laughs> which, which, who's going to crucify him for that? uh, That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, Esau's just a dude. The things I do to get Alan to bring me Olive Garden bed six weekly, I mean, I, that's what I I'm saying. That's what I'm it. saying. This story has been misrepresented for it. years. <laughs> years. Right? And, there, and then, let, me, let me go back and clarify. Things I would do. Would <laughs> thankfully I have a, a very kind friend in Alan who gives them to me for free. Do things no. I would do. See what you can get out of him. Don't don't test me. It's not like somebody last night was like, "Wow, these are really good." Can I have more? <laughs> I was like, you gotta talk to John. That's right. So, to to John. so then the next thing is God promised, makes a promise to Isaac. All right, that's the next one. Then Jacob, and this is, here's the other thing. The titles of these stories in, mm-hmm. in the Bible, mm-hmm. I don't like the way they're titled. Well, that's because right? a human because title, they're not God. Esau sells his birthright. No, Jacob manipulated Esau into giving his birthright. All right, hold and on. Isaac hold blesses. Hold on. Okay. Hold the phone. Stop the presses. I hear what you're saying about Esau. Okay. And I even agree with what you're saying about Esau and Jacob. And we've talked about this. I do agree. But we cannot forego the principle that Scripture confirms Scripture. Right? We agree yeah, with okay. And the Scripture's take on Esau is very not favorable. No, no, no. I agree. I agree. I'm not trying to defend Esau. Well, I just want to say that you're, you're saying that, that Jacob manipulated he did. He did. He did. However, this is Hebrews twelve sixteen says this, <laughs> and I'm only saying this because I, one, I think it's funny, but two, it's not just that Jacob manipulated. Esau is the guilty party. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, <laughs> who <laughs> for a right. single meal sold his inheritance inheritance I, I rights as it. the oldest son. This is not a defense just, of just Esau. To be clear, it's, yes, no, nope, that's Jacob's fair. a manipulator, this but is, Esau is also guilty. This is not a defense of He's Esau. He's as bad as the sexually immoral. I got it. I got it. Godless. Okay, so the next story of okay. Jacob is is Jacob dressing up and lying to his dying father, mm-hmm. right? To mm-hmm. get the blessing that belongs to Esau. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is, this is one of the most disgusting stories in the entire Bible. In my opinion, I hate this story. I don't hate it. I, 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 I hate Jacob in it. That's fair. And the manipulation that he does to get the blessing. It's gross. It's horrible. Right. I'll say, okay. So the next story is Jacob goes to Laban and then, and then when Jacob goes to Laban, then he marries Leah and Rachel. Horrible story. Terrible, (laughs) terrible story. I feel bad for Jacob. (laughs) I don't feel bad for Jacob at all. I don't feel bad for him at all. First off, you sold your soul for a woman. What a terrible decision. What are you talking about? He's what wouldn't you give up for Hannah right now? What, what my soul? I'm not buying that. That's fine. You don't have to buy it. I just, what an awful day. Like I can't even respect him as a man. He walks up to somebody and he's like, I love Rachel. I will do anything for her. And he's like, cool, man. You're my personal slave for seven years. And Jacob was like, okay. 
And then he did it. Wow, you're really misunderstanding that story. I think <laughs> that's, no, he's that's not what happened. Weak. He's oh my gosh. He's a wuss. Oh my gosh. He's a beggar is, is and Boaz a wuss. Boaz a wuss too. Then is that different what story? Okay. So then, he, so then Laban, who's Jeez. no better than Jacob, Laban oh gives him Leah because he's like, I can't marry Leah. He is Laban's bad because he's can't a, he's get a rid deceiver. Of her. Yeah, Laban's awful. I'm not here to. This isn't a justification of Laban either. This is a condemnation of Jacob. Alan, how do I get muted? And you're letting this drivel go on. And then, and then Jacob, then after he gets married to Leah, he's still like, but Rachel. And he's like, ha ha, tricked you. You got to work for me again for seven years. And Jacob's like, I'll do whatever. Cause he's a weenie. Right. And then he finally marries Rachel. And I just, there's no good stories. You can keep going. You can keep going. Oh, then, then he's scared of Esau because he's a coward. And Esau, being the dude that he is, finds right. his brother after years and embraces him. That's right. It gives him a hug. Esau says, the bro, hero. I've not seen you in years. And he, Jacob was trying to manipulate and lie his way through the whole situation to calm Esau down. Like Esau's going to hurt him whenever he sees him, which he should have, but he didn't. Esau just gave him a hug. Again, I'm not justifying Esau. Esau's godless. It really sounds That's like not it. I'm, I'm not doing that. But I think I think Jacob's the most overhyped dude in the Bible. I, I, All right. That's my take. That's a hot take. Alan, that's my what take. You, what you got, man? That, that's that's a wickedly hot take, so I need some, <laughs> I need some reality in here. That's what I'm saying. That's my take. Uh, God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. I think the glory of the Jacob story... Is that God picked someone so terrible? So that's what I got written down. Just saying <laughs> overhyped is it's really just kind of taking away the God part of the whole story, I think. That's the other side of the coin. Right, is right. It's so encouraging that God could okay, use Jacob. All right. So all this was leading to it's actually encouraging. It's so encouraging because then so I So I don't need to try to be more like Esau for Will no, to like me. No, 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 no. Right. That's why I'm that's why I want to be very clear. This is not a glorification of Esau. This is a condemnation of Jacob. It should only be in the context of that dude's lucky God picked him. Well, sure. Okay. I'm good with that statement. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But like, I would say that about myself. I would, that, and that's why it's encouraging okay, because right, I would 100% right. say right, that about myself there. as we're well. All, we're coming back. I would absolutely say that about myself because in all the ways that I look at Jacob and I'm like, I'm better than that is, is, the other thing is right. there are a million, there's a longer that, list. That's proof that I'm not. Right, right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a longer list of ways that I'm not better than Jacob. Yeah. When I think of, I think God's servants, I, I think of someone like, I, I had the honor of uh, getting to know in the church I'm at, and um, she was our, um, you say organist or pianist? Pianist, or, yeah. Pianist. Um, Miss Betty Cooper, um, who we lost, what? Yeah. A month ago we lost her. Just uh, actually had so much life and love and and joy and pride and I, I think absolutely what a servant to God. Yeah. And nobody knew. Uh, well, people knew. Yeah, Let me yeah. rephrase. It's just, I, I didn't, like I knew she was a wonderful servant to God. I didn't re realize what a, like what a, what a, what a stanchion of faith she was. Like yeah. just this, just this grounded, uh, spiritually really mature individual. Yeah. And, Oh my gosh, she was incredible, really incredible, and and you knew that. Like, you talk about fruit, she did nothing but bear fruit, and and so like it, she must have been that way, but I, I guess I didn't realize it until it was too late. Yeah, I, I I can give just a small, hopefully kind of insight into who she was and, and how she was, but the story of Miss Betty being at our church is is really convoluted. She played piano at a, another church for 
like multiple decades. And I think it was something like 40 some years. She started playing piano when she was 16 and, and played for her church from 16 until she came to our church. 50 or 60 years. Yeah, I, I really do. Yeah. She came to our church in 2017. Yeah, perfect timing, I was told, because literally yeah. you're... Le- the last penis left like a week before. Yeah, so the the story, oh, she didn't leave. She passed away. Oh, okay. um, eh, she left. Left. Well, she, <laughs> she left. In a way. Yeah, so the story of that is even the, the dad, who's the pastor of the church, was in Fort Knox, Kentucky on an army exercise for about a month and a half. I was here holding the church together with duct tape and gum. And then our music minister passed away, which, <laughs> you know, for a church our size, 60 people, that is massive. And it was massive. She wasn't sick. She wasn't on her deathbed. She had a heart attack and passed away suddenly. So now we're like, well, great. What do we do? We played videos for the, the we had the plan to play videos that first Sunday she was there or she was gone the first Sunday afterwards. So we played videos and it worked. I mean, our church, you know, they, they, they don't need bells and whistles to worship, but we did that. That happened to be the first Sunday Betty came to church that very next Sunday after she passed away. I asked her why, what's that? You're getting to it. I was going to say, are you going to say why she came to church? She came to church. She, she came to our church after being in a church for 50, 60 years, which I I, want to look at the exact time, but because she disagreed with that church theologically, they took a theological turn. The church that she'd been at for 60 years, we'll say took a turn theologically. She didn't agree with and left. If you've never done that, you don't understand the the unbelievable amount of courage it takes to do that. To look at a church that you that has been like when and at her funeral, people were saying, "We identify this church with the Cooper family," and, and that's how ingrained her family was. And she left because she disagreed with it theologically. That's amazing. People don't do that. People leave churches because oh, it doesn't make me feel this way, or oh, that person hurt me, or I'm not. And people don't pay attention to me enough. She, people loved her. People paid attention to her. People gave her all the attention she 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 wanted. People saw her as as a queen herself, and she started completely over in her late seventies. Well, so, so her her and her dad picked that like the church was there, and then the church disappeared during World War II, and then her and her dad reformed the church right. to, to in like like literally from the ground up. She helped build it, and then was there the pianist there. For years, 50 or 60 years, and then it takes a theological turn. And that's exactly what it takes courage. It also takes integrity and maturity to be able to identify a theological shift that occurs in your church that you've been for 50 years. And then to say to yourself, this is not okay. Uh, And and I'm not going to stand by while this takes place. I will find a place to worship God the way he needs to be worshipped. Kind of going back to what you, you had said, Alan. So she, she was 80 when she passed, past 2023. So she got here when she was 74. And so she started playing piano at age 16, which I know is a fact. Yeah, no, that's... If someone's fast at math, they can do it. But 74 minus 16, 58, 58 years. years. Yeah, so she played piano at that church for 58 years and then came over here. And when she came, the part that, that compels me the most is that she came and she said, I just want to let you know I've been playing piano for this long. I can't believe that this is my first Sunday. Pray about if I should do this. It wasn't, put me behind the piano, I'm ready, I'm going to save this church. It was, pray if I should, and I'll pray. Dad was gone. I'm in no position to make this kind of decision. You know, I'm, I'm the youth pastor who happens to be preaching on Sundays. <laughs> I got to go to the hospital for our old uh, music minister. I did the funeral for our old music minister all while I'm like 22. And not in a position, I called Dad, and he was like, oh, you know, I don't know. It's always, you know, you never just want to let anybody through the door. It's, you have to be careful about who's in leadership and who's in front. We have to pray about this. Maybe three weeks, we knew. Talking with her, God made it very clear 
her spirit is right. So then she came to the church and she just ministered every week with her simplicity and, and her faith. I mean, she, she was a simple woman on the outside and so complex on the inside. That is the best explanation. She was. A simple woman on the outside, very complex so on the inside. So unintimidating, so yeah. inviting, so welcoming, yeah. and yet so much smarter than you. And didn't care. She was a literally the definition of a humble servant. Yeah, absolutely was. The living, breathing definition of a humble servant. Never asked for recognition, never got recognition. Yeah. And I would say this, I, I work with, with world-class musicians, um, people who have been nominated and won multiple Grammys, was telling the story of Miss Betty in, to my kind of um, staff meeting. We do a staff prayer meeting on Tuesdays. And before Miss Betty passed, I, I asked if I could share the devotional for the day. And, and I talked all about Miss Betty's life. And then I played a quick little snippet of her playing piano in our church. Just to say, you know, is it perfect? No, but just looking at, listen how beautiful she she can make that piano sound. And and I got multiple feedback of like, I, I don't care about the John Pipers. I don't care about the David Platts. I don't care about the Vody Bauckhams, the John MacArthur's. I don't care about any of those people. Those are the Christians that are holding up the, the, the fort of, of God's kingdom. It's those silent, humble servants that serve their church every single week. And I'm telling you, if this world was filled with Miss Bettys, it would be a completely different place. Mm-hmm. So not not to give another eulogy because her nephew did an, a beautiful job at her funeral to give a eulogy, but that there will never be, I don't think, anyone who has affected me and my personal faith more than Miss Betty. I had the pleasure of, of talking, meeting with her multiple times. We had we had planned, and this actually, the, here you go, this is the first public release. I had talked to her and we had recorded a few times for playing the piano. What I wanted to do was do a series of, of, of hymns, kind of tell the story of a hymn, have Miss Betty play it. And then we were just going to kind of release them on Facebook. Never got any of them finished because she got sick too fast. But because of that, I got the opportunity to talk to her quite a bit. And man, it's a brilliant woman who, who loved God more than anything else. She was amazing. And, and you talk about that, that turning the other cheek. It's clear she would stand up when she needed to because she left her church. And yet she never let anything bother her or her. <laughs> she would, <laughs> we would do, we would do, we don't have a choir at church, but sometimes we do choir and she would always play the piano for us. And I remember the kind of the first time we were having her do it. And dad said, you know, can you come out choir practices at five? And this was in the winter time. She said, no, I don't drive after it's dark and up here it gets dark at four 30. And dad was like, you're our, our pianist. <laughs> we need you to travel. She's like, sorry, I'm not doing it. Like, see, so that's the, it's like, she's both. I'll do anything for anyone, anytime ever. And also you ain't making me drive in the dark. <laughs> Absolutely not. You know, it's incredible. A stalwart woman. And I just, I think that, I think that we can get very kind of starstruck with our pastors, very starstruck with our, our worship pastors, our, our youth pastors, starstruck with the famous Christians. Um, when it's people like Miss Betty who are actually legitimately changing the world. I'm glad you brought it up, Alan. I, I have wanted to talk about her for a lot of time. Yeah. Bible in quotations trivia. The game where trivia is not trivial. Over 5,400 questions. It's a yeah. lot of questions. There's 4,000 questions for adults. <laughs> and this is what it says. 1,400 questions of a simpler nature, which are especially suitable for children. We're doing those ones. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear. We're doing the simpler nature yeah. questions. <laughs> what uncle and nephew had to split up because the land could not support all of their livestock. Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot. What did Rachel, Jacob's wife, steal from her father's household when she left to go to Canaan? A golden cup. Oh, idols. It, oh, was, yeah. it was multiple golden okay. cups. All right, all right. Of wisdom, riches, and honor, which two did God give Solomon, although he did not ask for them? Uh, wisdom and riches. W- w- riches, for sure. Um, yeah, wisdom sounds right. No, he asked for wisdom. He gave her Oh, he asked honor. for wisdom. That uh, gummit. Should have listened to the yeah, question. Whatever. What city did the angels call the city of David when talking to shepherds? Bethlehem. 
through which sea did God let the Israelites pass by, dividing the waters? Which time? Uh, the, oh, the, the important time. Wait, the Nile was never split. Uh, the Red Sea. Yes. The yes. other one's the Jordan River. In which book of the Bible do we read the story of the Great Flood? Genesis. Yeah, it's like the third story in the Bible, guys. <laughs> Come on. Which did Paul say was the most important gift given by God? The ability to speak in tongues or the ability to prophecy? Wow. I would say prophesy is the greatest. That's what I would say. I don't know the specific scripture reference, though. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 14, the ability to prophecy. Define prophesy, uh, because this does not mean praying over someone and, and telling what their life is going to do. We're talking about like Old Testament prophecy where you receive a message from God and you declare it to the people. The closest connection we have to modern day prophecy is the preaching of the word. Yeah, 14, <coughs> follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the spirit, especially prophecy for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Yeah, that's good. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit. But the one who prophecies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Yeah, that that's preaching. Yeah. All right. Thank you. That's, that's really good. Yeah. Wow. Not only are we doing trivia, but now I've learned something. Now we've got Bible verses included. That's awesome. <laughs> when Aaron threw his rod down before the Pharaoh, ah, come on. What did it change into? A magical snake. Uh, a what? No, a serpent. A serpent. <laughs> it's, well, the card says a snake. Ugh. Exodus seven ten. All right. Who was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire? My my guess is Paul, but I know it's wrong. No, no it wasn't he Paul. Died. I'm trying to think of the people that went early. I don't know. Elijah. With a J. Oh, oh, yeah. I knew. Which disciple was the first to enter the tomb after Jesus rose from the dead? Oh, they raced. John. It was John. Peter got to the tomb first, but John went in first. It says Simon or Peter. Oh, I got Peter backwards. backwards. John got there, John first, got there first. Because he ran, Peter he went it. in first. John made a point to say in his Gosh, gospel that I he was got quicker. there first. Yeah. <laughs> Dang it. That's right. All right. Fine. John got it. Who in the Old Testament had two dreams that caused his brothers to dislike him even more? Joseph. Joseph, yeah. Yes, it was. Name Isaac's father. Isaac's father was Abraham. Indeed. Glad you said it the full sentence. <laughs> we I, I only to, accept full sentence that's answers. That's how I have to process the things. In Jesus's parable of the talents, how many talents did the servant who was given two end up with? Two. Yeah, he held on to two. I think one lost, two stayed the same, and five made ten. Says four. Ah, not even close. Matthew, Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Dang, okay, now I have to figure out. Matthew 25, you said? Yep. I gotta get all four, the numbers. 14 to 30. That's five bags... Gained five bags more, so he had ten. Two bags gained two bags more, he had four. And the one bag just hit it in the ground. Hit he had the ground. One. Yeah. I thought somebody lost. How many years in total did Jacob work for Laban before he returned home? Seven. Seven. Nope. What? It was seven for Leah, oh. seven for Rachel, oh. and then an additional six 20, after 20, Rachel. 20, so it was 20 40, total. 30, 60, wow. 20. How many stones did it take David to knock Goliath down? One. one. Oh, no, indeed. What did Jesus <laughs> hand to Judas to show the other disciples that he would betray Jesus? Oh, the bread. The bread. A sop or a piece of bread? Judas saying to the Roman centurion, all right, the guy that I kiss will be the one who's Jesus. And the Roman centurion says, can't you just point to him? <laughs> it goes back to Judas and he's putting on lip balm. He says, I don't tell you how to do your job. <laughs> Who did Mary Magdalene think Jesus was when he first spoke to her after his resurrection? A ghost. Yeah, I, I don't know. The gardener. Name one of the two times in the New Testament when God said the following about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Uh, after he was baptized. Oh. And what was the other 
instance? It's transfiguration. Okay. It's, yeah, in Acts. Because was it, was it proclaimed by God, like, or was it just known that? It's a good question. This is, this is not my son. Definitely was, after his baptism, proclaimed out loud. I was yes. about to say, he, after his baptism, like, Bastism. there was a dove and his baptism. <laughs> after he was washed, uh, it, was, it was definitely proclaimed out loud. Oh, and they're both in Matthew. Matthew 17 is the second one. This is this learning is, today. This is great content. While he you. was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Interesting. Well, Very interesting. The Bible says that instead of being drunk with wine, a Christian should be filled with what? The Holy Spirit. What is the following list of virtues called? Love, joy, peace, Fruit patient, kindness, yep. goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and my favorite, self-control. What does the book of Proverbs often say is more valuable than gold, silver, or rubies? I would say faithfulness, but I don't think it's... As wisdom? It's wisdom. It's wisdom. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom. wisdom. I needed this. Did you? I did. I needed <laughs> this. Good. I have been feeling down and and, and and just not at the top <laughs> of my game. And and this has been great. Good fellowship. Thank good, you. Good fellowship. Good fellowship. This is wonderful. I tell you, this is the Lord. I just feel the Lord speaking in all of us, and I just feel his presence. And No, today was a great day. Yeah, it was a good day. It, it was a good okay. day. Long story short, I think it would be very funny if we... Got somehow got a cut. Like we just all go find your favorite mega church on Facebook, and let's like screen record their worship, and we'll just send in our funniest bits because I bet we could find some seriously funny stuff. God, we are thankful just for the opportunity both to be encouraged, um, but but to just that that we, you would grace us with the ability to talk about you. That there is no higher honor than talking about you and your son and the gift of redemption and the story of redemption and the gospel. And we're thankful for that, God. I pray that you would encourage us through this week and, and may this podcast do exactly what you require of it. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode. If you have a Christian joke to share, a question to ask our pastors, you know someone or would be interested in joining our discussion and or more, please contact us at christianvarietypodcast at gmail.com. When in doubt, just read your Bible. And have a great week.